Good evening, everyone. If I could uh, encourage you back to your seats, if you can finish your conversations. Brilliant. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at King's, and uh, it's my immense privilege to be kicking off uh, this preach series in Ephesians. I've uh, been looking forward to it uh, for a number of months. Before we, we dive in and we start looking at it, um, I just wanted to let you know that myself um, and Alid and uh, five others from the church, we're going to be heading off to India in about 10 days' time. We're going to be doing a trip out there to visit Praveen um, and the church in Mumbai that uh, we have a good relationship with. We're looking to continue to build the friendship. While we're out there, we're going to be uh, taking a leader's weekend, as well as um, also we'll be uh, working as well and uh, having a look at what they're doing in some of the slums out there, working with some of their nurseries, that sort of stuff, and just looking to see how we can continue to strengthen the relationship and uh, see where God takes it. So we'd really appreciate your prayers over these next few weeks that we stay in good health, um, no dodgy stomachs or anything like that, um, and that God will bless us and be with us. Ephesians is one of the most magnificent books in the Bible. It is absolutely, it's an outstanding book. There, there are real sort of like um, Everests of truth for us to grapple with, for us to understand, for us to uh, lay hold of, um, if we so choose to. And uh, I want to encourage you over the coming weeks, we're going to do six, seven weeks, then we're going to have a four-week break in March, and then we're going to come back and do another six or seven weeks. I want to encourage you... As we do this, don't just come reliant on the preacher to do a good job. But come with your mind set on the fact that you are going to, be, you are going to do a good job as hearers of the words. That you are going to come and soak up as much out of us as you possibly can. That you'll be the best listeners, your hearts will be as open as possible. That you come prepared saying, Holy Spirit... Would you come and speak to me? Because the reality of it is, however good a job I do in communicating, if your hearts aren't open to listen, I can only do half the job, because the other bit is down to you. And also, the fact of the matter is, we need the Holy Spirit if we're going to understand these things. These, these are mysteries. These are wonders for us to understand. A guy called John Mackey, who was president of the Princetown Theological Seminary, in July 1903, he said this after he had, I was going to say read Ephesians, but I don't think that's quite true. After he had grappled with Ephesians, he said this, I saw a new world. Everything was new. I had a new outlook, new experiences, new attitudes to other people. I loved God. Jesus Christ became the center of everything. I had been quickened. I was really a life. Now those things don't happen. My prayer is this happens for you. But these things don't happen just by a casual attending and hearing. They come as we set our hearts. Like Sam was speaking about last week. I'm setting my heart on pilgrimage. I want to know God. I want to know the truth contained within it. I'm going to lay hold of him. Let me give you a little bit of background and uh, uh, context for this letter, and then we're just going to dive straight into the first 14 verses. 
This was probably a circular letter. So it wasn't just sent to the church um, at Ephesus. It probably went to a number of other churches as well. It was written by the Apostle Paul in about AD 61, AD 62, which is only about 30 years after the death of Christ. That's quite recent, isn't it? Just 30 years. I mean, some of you I know haven't been alive that long. But for me, who's an old man, 30 years doesn't seem such a long time ago. Paul, um, who is the author, was in uh, Rome, uh, probably a prisoner at the time, under house arrest. And the church here at Ephesus, he planted about eight years previously. So he'd have an understanding of the church um, and what is going on there. Let me read these verses, and then we're going to dive straight in. So, Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 1, we're going to go right the way through to verse 14. Although I'm only going to preach my way through the first seven verses um, here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. God, it's so good. I, I get these verses to preach on. It's so cool. Then again, I do the preach program, so that's why we've done it that way. Why don't we stand? I just want to quickly pray. Oh, Lord God, we love everything you've done for us. We love the fact that we can come and worship you. I pray, would you please anoint me, help me to communicate really, really effectively. But I pray for every single person here, even as I've already encouraged them, I pray they would be outstanding listeners tonight. I pray they would be champion hearers of your word. I ask you, even now, you'd fill them afresh of your Holy Spirit. Hearts and minds prepared. And I ask you, they would sap up every bit of goodness that is contained in this passage. I ask you, Lord, that their minds would be filled, their hearts would overflow as we come back into praise and worship. I ask that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So these 14 verses that we're looking at, let me just give you a brief breakdown of how it works. So the first two verses are an introduction. Paul is just introducing himself and telling us who he is writing to. Verse 3, we then find this amazing statement 
that the following verses all sort of roll out of. From verses 4 to 6, we see the work of the Holy Spirit in redemption and salvation. No. In verses 4, forget that bit. In verses 4 to 6, we see the work of the Father in redemption and salvation. From 7 to 12, we see the work of the Son. And in verses 13 and 14, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. So all we're going to do is pick it up to the end of verse 6. So we're going to briefly look at the introduction. We're going to look at this amazing statement in verse 3. Then we're going to see what the Father has done in our redemption. And then we're going to leave the work of the Son and the work of the Holy Spirit till next week. So in some ways, I've got one preach split into two halves. So you'll have to come back next week to hear the rest of it. Let's just dive in by looking. I just want to briefly look at the introduction. And the problem with this letter is there is so much truth within it. I've been reading Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's an amazing preacher. He spent 28 28 weeks preaching through what I've got two weeks to do. Okay, so he, he spent 28 weeks. So either I'm incredibly anointed or I'm going to miss a few bits. And I think it's probably more the latter than the former. But I just want to just look at the introduction by asking you a question. Who is this letter written to? Who's the letter written to? So if you've got a Bible, have a quick look. Verse 1 and 2. Who is this letter written to? Anyone want to shout something out? Preferably the answer. You heard it this morning. You're cheating. Saints. Yeah. This, this letter is written to the saints at Ephesus. It's interesting. He doesn't just say, oh, to the crowd, that, that is the church at Ephesus. He says to the saints at Ephesus. Right from the very beginning, Paul wants to talk to them about their identity. He wants to talk to them about who they are. Do you know saints are holy ones? They are the holy ones at Ephesus. Saints are holy ones. Saints are ones who have been set apart for God. They've been set apart for God, and they've been set apart from the world. That's what saints are. Now, you might think, well, saints, you know, that rules me out for starters. No, no. When Paul uses the word saints, he's just using it for normal, everyday Christians. Men and women just like you and me. It's not this elite group of Christians. You don't have to appear on a stained glass window to be called a saint. You don't need the Pope to pronounce that you are a saint. God bless him. You are a saint if you are a Christian. You are a holy one. You have been set apart for God's purposes. It is an immense privilege. And Paul wants the the church at Ephesus to know this from the very, very beginning. You are the holy ones. A saint is one who, who has been cleansed from the guilt of their sin, cleansed from that which excluded him or her from the presence of God, that we might be set apart for God's purposes. You are a saint. And everything that is written in this letter is applicable for you. Well, mainly. You, you don't exclude yourself. You may not feel like a saint. You may have had a rubbish week. You may, you may not even be, you feel that mature as a Christian, but you are still a saint. You get it from the very beginning. It is your position, it's your identity, it's how you operate. You have been set apart for God's purposes. You have been separated from the world. Both is true. You know, sometimes we quite like the idea of all the blessings bit. We're not so keen on the costly bit of being separated from the world. 
but both are true. When I married Chloe, I've been married for 14 years, I confirmed that this morning because she was here. I stopped dating other girls. In actual fact, I stopped dating other girls slightly before we got married. I have a relationship with Chloe that is now exclusive. I have a relationship with Chloe where we talk about things I would never have spoken about with her beforehand. We enjoy a physical relationship that is exclusive. We go to places that is exclusive. In some ways, I am holy unto Chloe. I I have been separated for her as she is for me. It says forsaking all others. I am for Chloe. And in the same way, you are a saint. You are a holy one. You have been separated for God. That means you forsake all others. That means it affects your lifestyle and how you live on a daily basis because you are a saint. You live out of who you are. It it would be wrong, wouldn't it? If as a married man, I lived as I was a single man, that would be ridiculous. You would all come and tell me, Paul, you are out of order. That is not how you live. And it's not that Chloe's a killjoy. It's not that she doesn't want me to have fun. It's because what I get with Chloe is better than I can get anywhere else. That relationship with her. And it's the same with God. You might think you just put your hand up in a meeting. That you chose to follow Christ. We'll we'll get there in a minute on that bit. And then you just carry on living as you did before. No! No! You've been chosen. You've been set apart. You are a saint. You are a holy one. That affects how you live out your life. And Paul whacks it right into the first verse. Because he wants to know, he wants the church at Ephesus to know who they are. And we need to know who we are. You've been set apart for God and his purposes. It's an immense, immense privilege. And everything written in this letter, you can come from that basis. Let's move it on from verse 2 into verse 3. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That blessed be is like praise. Blessed be God. You are amazing. Right from the very beginning, Paul can't help but praising God. These, these verses we're looking at here are all praise. What we're going to look at in the second half of Ephesians chapter 1 is prayer. But this is all praise. In the original, in the Greek, it was 202 words, one long sentence. Paul just couldn't help himself. He got going and he just didn't know how to stop. Like a snowball rolling down a hill, getting more and more momentum. He didn't know how to stop. Like a bubbling brook that's just gushing out more and more. A torrent of water, a torrent of praise. Now my hope and my prayer is that you understand more um, theology, more truth as we work our way through this. But if it doesn't end these next two weeks with you wanting to praise God, something's gone wrong somewhere. This, this, is, this is a, it's not a hymn of praise, but it's like that praising out, bubbling out as you understand, oh wow, how good you have been, God. How good you have been. It was so encouraging when I finished reading this passage that there was a response from you guys. Why? Because it's great news. It affects you. It's, it, it does something on the inside. If you're a Christian... When you hear these truths, what comes out is praise. Because you're spiritually alive. So first and foremost, this this is a praise. This is worship. It explodes out. 
every spiritual blessing? Really? I mean, Paul says every spiritual blessing you have received. Not not that you're going to grow into it over the next 20 years, or if you hit a certain target sheet, you may get there. No, every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. That is what Paul is saying, regardless of age, nationality, or maturity. It isn't something you grow into, but it is yours. And these following verses just unpack what all these spiritual blessings are. But you might read down and you say, oh, right, spiritual blessings. Ah, but it says in heavenly places. And looking around here, I can tell I'm definitely not in heaven. You know, if you know the week I have had, you know I am not in heaven. But do you know what? It says in Ephesians 2 verse 6 that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. In Ephesians 1 verse 20, we'll get to it over the next few weeks, it says that Christ is seated in heaven. You may not feel like it, you may look around, prod the person next to you, just to check they're awake still. Oh, no, 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 I want to see a good bit of prodding here, you know, make sure everyone's awake. It may not look or feel like you are seated in heavenly places, but the truth, what the Bible says is, yes, you've got both feet here on earth, but you are seated in heavenly places as well. When you were born again, life came on the inside of you. You were united with Christ, where Christ is, you are as well. And when it says heavenly places, it's not just talking about sitting on some fluffy cloud. It's talking about heaven. It's talking about where God the Father is in all of his manifest glory. There was a glimpse of it in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah sees a glimpse of the throne room of heaven, and he sees angels who are flying, and they've got wings that are flying, they've got wings that are covering their faces, wings that are covering their feet, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy. The doorposts are shaking. Something of God's manifest presence and glory in heaven. We catch little glimpses of it, glimpses of it here on earth, but only glimpses. In heaven, there are no shadows of it. It is there in its fullness. Heaven is the place where Jesus Christ in his resurrected body is. He is in heaven. I am there with him in heaven. When I pray, I'm not praying to someone distant and far away, wondering whether he may hear. When I pray, when I come to a King's Church prayer meeting, I know I'm coming into the throne room of God with boldness and with confidence because I'm hidden in Christ, in God, seated in heavenly places. Now, I I do struggle. If I had a cat, I wouldn't like it. Children, I worry about them. How are they doing? You worry about how you're going to pay the bills. You you do face problems here on earth, and that is right. But your perspective changes when you know you're seated with Christ in heavenly places as well. When you know that your Father is in charge of it all, and you are right there with him. You may doubt what I'm saying because it doesn't feel like it's true. It's so important that we believe what the Bible says because the Bible says it. That's faith. We cling hold of the Word of God, we hold on to what it says. Your feelings 
are not the decider on whether something is true or not. It's what God says is the decider on whether something is true or not. I'm not saying it's easy always to believe. I'm not saying the feelings aren't real. But if we do not learn to pin our faith and our hope on what the Word of God says rather than our feelings, we will forever be going up and down. It is so important. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Let me just start to unpack it. And all we're going to look at, all we're going to be looking at is verses 4 to 6. We're going to look at the Father's work in this. What do these spiritual blessings look like? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I want to make a really important, make a really important statement here. Your salvation, your Christian faith did not start with you. It didn't start when you put your hand up in a meeting. It didn't start when your friend came and spoke to you about Jesus. It didn't start when you came to one of our carol services. It started in the Father. He started the work of salvation. It is Him. He is the initiator. Let me be absolutely clear on this. The vast blessings we receive are because the Father has decided that we would enjoy them. That is why. Before creation, before time began, in past eternity, in which only God himself existed in the, in the perfection of his being, he had a thought. That thought was you. He chose to save you. He made that decision. That is why you were born again. He did not choose you because he saw you would believe. That's not why he chose you. He chose you and because he chose you, you believed. This is so very, very important. You'll notice here that Paul isn't trying to persuade. He's not trying to get into an argument. He's making a statement. He's making a factual statement. You were chosen by God. Yes, you responded to his grace. But it was irresistible grace as it flooded into your soul. And this brings such security to me. When I face battles, when I face difficulties, lots of them, maybe not as big as some of you, but to know that my salvation started with the Father's work. This is not my idea, it's His idea. He is the initiator. He didn't even wait to see how you turn out. Before you'd thought anything, spoken anything, done anything, he chose to save you. It is all of his grace. This is the foundation that we stand on. You are chosen that you might believe. In actual fact, the Bible is very clear. You were blinded by the God of this age, the devil. You couldn't see. He had blinded you. It goes further than that, the Bible. It says you were dead in your sin. How could you respond to God if you're spiritually dead? You couldn't. He chose you. He chose you. He chose you with purpose. Do you know that? He didn't just choose you so you can do whatever you want. He loves you too much for that. 
you're too daft. He wouldn't let you do just whatever you want. He chose you that you might be holy and blameless. That may not get you as excited as the first bit. We are chosen with purpose. We are chosen to be holy and blameless, to be different from the world around us. If you want to know what holy and blameless looks like, look at verses 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians. He unpacks it there. He, he unpacks what it looks like. When God chose us, we were unholy and blameworthy. We did not deserve adoption, only judgment. We have been saved to see the effects of sin fully reversed in our lives. This holiness and blamelessness is both external and internal. It's, it's, it's what comes across on the outside that we would be holy, but what's happening on the inside as well. It's like a piece of fruit, like an, an apple. On the outside, it can be blemish-free. You can chop it open and it's all a bit rotten on the inside. You just couldn't tell it was there. God has chosen you that you would be blemish-free on the outside and without decay on the inside. This is the purpose for which he has chosen you for. You may think, you may think, well, I don't do too bad. You know, I'm just thinking, looking at this amazing couple in front of me, Steve and Maddie. So this uh, absolutely amazing couple. You see, Steve might do a pretty good job at looking holy and blameless on the outside. And he may even have Maddie fooled at times. But he's not trying to impress Maddie. This holy and blamelessness is before him in love. It's before God in love. The one we stand holy and blameless before is our Father. Lord of the whole universe, who sees all things, who knows all things. We have been set apart. We have been chosen that we would be holy and blameless before him. Wow. This is our destiny. This is, uh, we, we all fail. We, we all mess things up at times. But you know where your end, the end result's going to be? You will be standing before him, holy and blameless in his presence. Without spot, wrinkle, sickness, sin. Wow. That is your destiny. That is what you're called to do. And the Bible is very clear. Because, because we are saints, because we are holy ones, because that is our destiny, now let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in us. There's this lovely little phrase. I don't know if you've got your Bibles. Do turn here. I think it's in verse, verse 6. No, it's not. It's in verse 4. In him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then do you see there's a full stop before him? Some commentators say that full stop shouldn't be there. It should, the full stop should be after, in love. So if we move the full stop, it says this, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. In love. I mean, just for you to ponder this for a moment all of this is because God loves you he chose you because he loves you 
His call on your life to be holy and blameless is because he loves you. His great work is because he loves you. The God of all the universe, the creator of all things, the one who puts presidents in places, raises kingdoms, does all of that stuff, loves you. You, Adam, as an individual, he loves you. And there's a number of those sorts of phrases just through these first seven verses that we read over so quick. I mean, just, I don't know, you might not like this sort of thing, but I'm going to get you to do it anyway. Why don't you just say, God loves me. Just say it out loud so you can hear yourself. Now say it, but say it and listen to yourself as you say it. So don't just say it out like in parrot fashion, but say it listening to those words. God loves me. Just repeat it out now, aloud. Just, just for you to mull that over. For you to let that... So we rush on so quick reading the Bible. But just that little phrase, in love. In love. Alid, it's in love. That's why. He loves you. He thinks you are absolutely amazing. It's in love. He then moves on. He predestined us for adoption as sons. You may think Paul has already spoken about being chosen. Then he goes on to being predestined. Aren't these just the same words but a bit different? Well, predestined has more force to it. It's about being given destiny. And our destiny is adoption into God's family. That's his plan. That I would be adopted. That I would become a son. How amazing is that? It's not that I stay as a servant. He could have forgiven my sin and not adopted me. But I'm a son. This comes with so many privileges. My relationship with God has changed my standing before him. Rank and distinction. In some ways, I wonder if it's one of the highest expressions of God's love that I am adopted, that I bear God's name, that I'm a member of his family. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Have you ever seen a really naughty child in Tesco's, maybe about three or four years old, absolutely kicking up a stink in the aisle? And you can just see mum there. She's gone bright red. She just doesn't know what to do. The closer she gets, the more the child goes mad. And, the re- and everyone else who's in the aisle just goes, oh, thank God that's not my child. Why does mum care so much? Because it's her child. There's a link. It's not just a stranger. It's not just someone who passes by. It's her child. How this child behaves impacts on mum, both good and for bad. You've been adopted as a son or daughter of the living God. It's an immense privilege, but it's also a responsibility. How you live affects your father in heaven. What Paul is emphasizing here as well is it's legal. This is legal stuff. Roman adoption would have happened in a court. It, it, would, have, it would have been a servant being made a son that he would gain the inheritance of the estate. 
He, he took on the adopter's name, rank, position over time. He would have got all of his property. It's a legal thing. It's exactly the same for us. It's a legal thing. We are adopted into God's family. This, this, whether you, again, whether the servant feels like a son or not is secondary. The primary thing is that he is a son. That he has been adopted. And we've so got to understand these things. Even on Tuesday morning when you are really, really grumpy, you are a child of the living God. That is your position. But it doesn't just stay as a legal thing. We're to experience it. That's why the Holy Spirit has been given to us. One of the reasons that we might have an intimacy in relationship. Then goes on and says, according to the purpose of his will. That word purpose could also be pleasure. Again, just, you know, I said about the in love, just pondering that for a moment. You know, the father takes great pleasure in the work of redemption in your life. He delights in saving you. I'm so pleased he delights in it. He hasn't just decided to do it. He delights in it. This isn't just an act of the will. It's an act of his emotion as well. God delights in the fact that he chose and predestined you to be his. God delights in you. I think if I knew that better, I know it, but if I knew that better, most of my problems would reduce by about 50%. Knowing I am a delighted, I am a son who is delighted in. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Just in case you're in any doubt about this, this wonderful salvation that was initiated by the Father is all for the praise of his glorious grace. It's all a grace. All his undeserved mercy and kindness flooding into you. I don't deserve it. I cannot earn it. I cannot find my way into it, nor can you. It's all according to his glorious grace. With which he has blessed us in the beloved. Again, just every phrase is so rich. Just again, these are the last words really before I invite the band back up. But with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The means by which the Father has saved us is in the work of his beloved Son. Wow. He's beloved. The one he has loved from eternity past. When it came to creation... God spoke a word and it came into being. When it came for my salvation, my redemption, he had to send his son who died on a cross. It wasn't that God just sweeps my sin under the carpet. Jesus Christ carries it. Jesus Christ bore it in his body on the cross 
When he died, the punishment of my sin was paid. When he rose again, I was in Christ and I rose to new life with him. This wasn't just a word here or there. This wasn't sweeping it under the carpet. God couldn't just choose to forgive because of his holiness. Sin had to be dealt with. The punishment had to be uh, paid. Jesus Christ paid for my punishment. The beloved of God is the one who carried my sin for the praise of his glorious grace. Wow. That's who we are. I'm a saint. I'm a holy one. Set apart for God and his purposes. And before the creation of the world, he chose to lavish all of his grace, love and delight on people like you and me who are so far from deserving it, it is unbelievable. But he did it in love. He delights to do it. He is thrilled that you're here. He loves it when you raise the roof, singing out your praise and your worship and your adoration. And I don't mean this in the wrong way, but even if you don't believe what I'm saying, if you are a Christian, if you are a saint, if you are a holy one, all of what I've said is true for you anyway. You're just not enjoying it. That's reality. There isn't a greater thing I reckon you could do this week than give yourself to understanding this more and enjoying it more. Can I invite the band back up? Why don't we stand? You guys are by far... Let's stand on our feet. (laughs) We We are among the richest people in Hastings. We are so blessed... If you feel comfortable to, why don't you raise your hands? Father, we we are just humbled at your incredible salvation. I, I, I do not know why you had us in mind before even the world was formed. Why, even back then, you had decided to save us. I don't know why, but I'm so grateful it's in the Bible and that I can know it and understand it. I thank you for the security it brings that if you decided this millennia ago, you will not change your mind that I am safe and secure for eternity. I thank you, your plans for me are incredible. That I might be able to come before you holy and blameless. Not as a servant, but as a child of the living God. I thank you, I don't have to wait until I die and go to heaven. But I can experience heaven here. That I'm seated with you in heavenly places. And I I just pray as we raise our voices and worship you, would we know these things more and more and more. We're not, we're not doing it that we would, but I pray a side effect would be that we do. Lord, would this truth go beyond just connecting with our minds and, and fill our hearts afresh? Oh God, come and have your way, I pray, Lord God. 
Holy Spirit, would you come and reveal these mysteries to us afresh? I know, they're they're mysteries because God wants us to understand them. Thank you, Father, as I see your great love, my problems get smaller. The greater I see your love, the smaller the problems that surround me. Oh, God, would you come and flood us right now? Would you come and fill us right now, fresh of your Holy Spirit? We're thirsty for more of you, from the very back to the very front, from the left across to the right. Holy Spirit, would you move? Come and have your way, we pray.